You are listening to the sermon podcast for Salem Presbyterian Church in Winston-Salem. Thanks for listening. To learn more about our church, visit salempresws.org. That's salempresws.org. We believe preaching is best when experienced as part of the larger drama of God's people gathering. Something spiritually unique happens when God's people are together. We meet each Sunday to let the liturgy shape us, to hear preaching, and to take the Lord's Supper. And these acts are more robust when done together. Join us Sunday evenings at 5 p.m. in downtown Winston-Salem at 600 Holly Avenue. Recogeré además toda la clase de alimento 
almacenarlos para que a ti y a ellos les sirva de comida. Y Noé hizo todo según lo que Dios le había mandado. Es palabra de Dios. I'm going to be reading from uh, Robert Alter's translation, which is super exciting. Uh, also endorsed by D. Paul, so that's um, Genesis chapter 6, uh, verses 1 through 22. And it happened as humankind began to multiply over the earth, and the daughters were born to them, that the sons of God saw the daughters of man were comely, and they took themselves wives, whosoever they chose. And the Lord said, My breath shall not abide in human forever, for he is but flesh. Let his days be a hundred and twenty years. And the Nephilim were then on the earth, and afterward as well, the sons of God, having come to bed with the daughters of man who bore them children. They are the her heroes of York, the men of renown. And the Lord saw the evil of the human creature was great on the earth, and that every scheme of his heart's devising was only perpetually evil. And the Lord regretted having made human on earth, and was grieved to the heart. And the Lord said, I will wipe out the human race I created from the base of the earth, and from human to cattle to crawling thing to the fowl of the heavens, for I regret that I have made them. But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. This is the lineage of Noah. Noah was a righteous man. He was blameless in his time. Noah walked with God. And Noah begot three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. And the earth was corrupt before God, and the earth was filled with outrage. And God saw the earth, and look, it was corrupt. For all flesh had corrupted its ways on the earth. And God said to Noah, The end of all flesh has come before me, for the earth is filled with outrage by them. I am now about to destroy them with the earth. Make yourself an ark of cypress wood. With cells you shall make the ark, and caulk it inside and out with pitch. This is how you shall make it. Three hundred cubits the ark's length, fifty cubits its width, thirty cubits its height. Make a skylight in the ark, with a cubit of the top you shall finish it. And put an entrance in the ark on the side. With lower and middle and upper decks you shall make it. As for me, I'm about to bring a flood water upon the earth to destroy all flesh that has within it the breath of life from under the heavens. Everything on the earth shall perish. And I will set up my covenant with you, and you shall enter the ark, you and your sons and your wife, and the wives of your sons with you. From all that lives, from all flesh, two of each living thing you shall bring onto the ark to keep it alive with you, male and female they shall be. From the fowl of each kind, and from the cattle of each kind, and from all that crawls on the earth of each kind, two of each thing shall come to you to be kept alive. As for you, take for you every food that is eaten, and store it by you, to serve for you and for them as food. And this Noah did, as all that God commanded him, so he did. The word of the Lord. Oh, yeah, so if you're, uh, if you're a child and you want to get one of these bags of, of stuff, uh, you're welcome to come up here and do that. Um, we are, speaking of children, we're looking at the, uh, the Jesus uh, Storybook Bible um, between now and Advent. And um, I love the Jesus Storybook Bible. Uh, I remember reading it to my kids for the first time um, 
and at times just crying when I read the story. So if you don't have one, I highly recommend it. And um, I'm not going to go through every single story, but I'm going to go through a lot of the stories. And I think that it does a great job of telling the big story of the scripture in a way that makes sure everything goes back to Jesus. The subtitle is uh, Every Story Whispers His Name. And uh, we looked at the first, um, first story, was the story of creation. And uh, basically the idea was God told us to, um, this is the whole point of the, of the universe according to the scriptures, according to the, the Hebrew Bible and Christian scriptures, is uh, the whole point of the universe is that God put us down on this planet to take, he put two human beings in the Garden of Eden, uh, and he wanted them to spread uh, the peace, the shalom of Eden, uh, the creativity he used to bring order out of chaos. And he said, I want you to spread that all around the globe. And then maybe out even into space. I'm, I don't know about that part, but definitely around the globe. Take the creativity with which I created you and, and, and bear my image. Like, be in, like, like a mirror. Shine my glory everywhere. And so Adam and Eve were supposed to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. Bring dominion to it. Rule it like a gardener with grace and great gratitude. But then last week we saw uh, what's called the terrible lie. The first week was the perfect home. Second week, the terrible lie. And in the terrible lie, uh, the uh, evil one, the enemy, and Christianity does believe uh, that there is a good and evil. There's a God who created the world, and there's this thing called the devil or Satan, the deceiver of the whole world. He is not as great as God. Uh, He is simply a created being, a fallen angel that turned against God. And that creature, Satan, uh, deceived Adam and Eve and made them believe that God did not love them. He twisted their mind. And he made them want to be like God. And so um, this is after thousands of years of twisting uh, that we're now at Genesis chapter 6. And Genesis uh, 4 and 5 are a sordid tale of humans just becoming worse and worse and worse. And uh, an interesting thing about Genesis 1 through 6 is the timeline bet- between Genesis 3, where the uh, terrible lie occurs, and Genesis 6 could be tens of thousands of years. Uh, we, don't know, we don't know. There's genealogies that are mentioned but genealogies are only partial in the Bible. We know that. These people were living uh, a thousand years. We take that seriously, which I do. I don't know how. Uh, it seems like uh, having left the garden, there's some, some kind of still effect of living in the garden that slowly wears off, like you know, radioactive decay or something like that. But anyway, they, they live like around a thousand years. And so if you had even like you know, 30, 40, 50 generations, you can imagine how many years that would be between the end of three and the beginning of six. This has been a long time. And we don't know what kind of technology they developed. We don't know how far they spread out. But they have become more and more corrupted. Verse 11, the earth was corrupt in God's sight. And when it says corrupt, it means filled with violence. Not just violence. A lot of sexual deviance as well. A lot of just cruelty. But mostly violence. Mostly violence. Um, The earth was corrupt and full of violence. And... Um, the only proper response to that violence is judgment. So God brings judgment. Um, he, uh, he brings the flood. And, you know, it's very interesting to me that the, the children's books, uh, we have like 10, 12 children's books that are about Noah's Ark. By far the majority of children's books about the Bible are about Noah's Ark. We have these, we have these little miniature Noah's Arks with uh, little plastic figurines, or sometimes uh, some of them are made of, of clay that we have. But... The interesting thing to me is that all these children's stories about the ark, they're presenting by far the most destructive, um, the most violent 
story anywhere in the Bible, and, and that's being brought to kids, which, uh, which I think, for one thing, shows that children can handle that. They are not surprised by that. But it is a story of massive judgment. I mean, if you have a hard time with God uh, wiping out um, the people in the promised land, the Canaanites, or um, any time that he brings judgment on Israel, if you have a hard time with that, then uh, this is probably even harder for you. This is, this is the most destructive thing that he does, really anywhere in the whole Bible, is he brings this flood. But second point is that even as he brings this judgment, which is a patient, kind judgment, it's a measured judgment. Uh, it's not an angry, violent um, judgment. Uh, it takes him a very, very long time to get to this point. Very long time. But even as he judges, he, he brings this rainbow into the sky and says, I will never do that again. That you can be sure that there will permanently be grace. Uh, I will show grace, not because humans are less corrupt, but simply because I will not do that again. I promise you that I will show grace to your planet and not destroy it again. Uh, that's the grace of God, the second point. And, it, and then as soon as he does that, he tells them, once again, he says, now be fruitful and multiply. Start all over right here, you know, on Mount Ararat. And I want you to start over and start it again. Start spreading out again. So he doesn't cancel the plan. He brings us back to the original plan. So first, I want to look at the judgment of God and the grace of God. Um, the judgment of God is, again, severe. Verse 12, God saw how corrupt the earth had become for all the people on earth had corrupted their ways. Notice that the earth is corrupt, not just the people. And the word corrupt is like what happens when a banana goes um, brown or a peach kind of begins to fall into itself and get that little white mold on it. Or when you open a refrigerator that's got a bunch of really old nasty food and there's just mold, there's stuff growing in it. That's the word for corrupt. It's a word that means um, everything had gone very sour and uh, had been uh, defiled would be another word the Bible uses. It just means disintegration of the personality. The human personality is disintegrating and decaying. It's falling in on itself. And um, in Leviticus 18.25, this is a lot later, thousands of years later, uh, Leviticus 18.25, this is about the promised land, where Israel's in the promised land. It says the land had become so corrupt because Israel had become so corrupt that it vomited out its inhabitants. That, that word is actually in the Bible. The vomit is in the Bible. And the land, the promised land is so sickened by Israel and by idolatry mostly, worshiping false gods, gods like the god of greed, um, the god uh, Molech, the god of, of child sacrifice, that it gets so sick of this that it just it vomits Israel out. Um, it's kind of like, I, I imagine, you know, North Carolina is about the size of, of Israel. And uh, imagine North Carolina, um, where it's so defiled by greed, by companies just trying to make a quick buck and polluting streams. Like RJR, when I was growing up, polluted Lake Catherine, which is the lake. It's not, it's not really a lake. It's this thing that is in Rinalda Gardens. It's this thing that looks like a swamp now. That used to be a beautiful lake when I was growing up. And RJR just dumped chemicals right into that thing. Um, and that's part of the way. Imagine North Carolina is so defiled by um, all these things that it becomes kind of like Chernobyl, which is also an example of human um, you know, greed creating this environmental disaster. Fool- human foolishness uh, and human hubris. 
creating this situation in Russia and Chernobyl where they're still, you know, the animals were disfigured by it. Uh, the crops died. Uh, the lakes became toxic around there. Um, that's what it means to, for the land to become so corrupt that it vomits out the inheritance. Imagine the, the, the actual land of North Carolina is so nauseated by humans that it just, it's like, I can't deal with this anymore. It just sends us out. This is what uh, the Jesus story of the Bible says. Um, she writes, everywhere was disease and death and destruction and all the things that God hates most. Everywhere, disease and destruction, death and all the things God hates most. So this is humans violating one another um, and violating the earth. If you look at verse 2, it says the sons of God took as their wives any they chose and basically gave birth to the Nephilim. Now, this is another mystery, kind of like the people that lived a thousand years. That's really hard for me to understand. But the Nephilim are even harder. What are the Nephilim? There's some kind of combination of these demonic like almost like superhero like a thor or a loki you know this half human half they're called the sons of god and they come and take they took wives that's a word for violation like it's a very violent act to take a wife it's sexual abuse as they chose and they gave birth to the nephilim goliath was one of the nephilim they were huge uh the people who made israel feel like grasshoppers were nephilim these giant monsters are now exercising dominion the way, you know, we were made to have dominion over the earth, but now these monsters are exercising dominion. And it says in verse 5 that every inclination of the thoughts of their hearts was only evil continually. And by the way, when I took my PCA licensure exam and they asked, what does total depravity mean? This is the verse that I quote. Uh, there's really no stronger verse to describe the darkness of the human heart than that. And I think it's still true. It's not just a Nephilim. It's that every inclination of the human heart, of our thoughts, are only evil continually. Now, we do things that are good, and yet it's always somehow a little bit twisted, a little bit off, uh, in some way not honoring to God, not for God. So basically, their hearts just poisoned everything. They poisoned everything. And this is again from Sally Lloyd-Jones, uh, the story of the Bible. Everyone everywhere had forgotten about God. And they only did bad things all the time. So I imagine these human beings, these giant, uh, awful human beings lounging around and you know, being really cruel to animals and snorting cocaine and watching porn and lighting things on fire and blowing up trees just for the fun of it. That's kind of the picture I have. If you've seen the movie Noah with Russell Crowe, which I really liked, it's a very strange adaptation of this story. But the way they depict the human violating the planet, you want God to judge the world. You want that to happen. So when God says in verse 7, I will wipe from the face of the earth the human race, for I regret that I have made them, uh, that's only because we were so destructive. I mean, this is, this is a last resort. His, it's, his, he, it's regret. It's a deep regret. It's pain in his heart. And the extent and the intensity of the destruction is really actually dignifying to the earth and the animals and the other people that were killed. You know, the, the, the trees and the plants and the rivers. In verse 7, it says the animals and birds and creatures that move along the ground. I mean, this is all the stuff that we were mistreating. And so God brings judgment. And in the book of Revelation, when it describes the final judgment, uh, this is the way it puts it. God says the time has come to destroy 
those who destroy the earth. The time has come to destroy the destroyers. And whenever God judges, it's always to destroy someone who's destroying someone else. That's always why he does it. It's to protect other people. And I actually, personally, I cling to this hope for the future of our planet. Uh, These are what some of the Psalms say. He makes the wars to cease. I take that literally. That he will break bow and shadow spear, uh, shatter spear, or gun, or missile, or bomb. He will burn chariots with fire. Every boot used in battle and every garment rolled in blood will be fuel for the conflagration. So this is a depiction of what God will do one day where he will destroy the destroyer. And he will bring peace uh, at some point in the future, I believe, to this planet somehow. This is the Storbrick Bible. Uh, She says, people have filled my world with hate instead of love, and I must stop them. This is God speaking. A storm is coming, a storm that will wash away all the hate and the sadness and everything that has gone wrong, and I will make it clean again. That kind of makes my you know, blood boil. I mean, that, that's, I, I love God for being like that. That's, that's I, I hope you also hear the pathos in that, the, the sadness that's there. It says in verse six, the Lord regretted that he had made human beings on the earth and his heart was deeply troubled. He's not enjoying this at all. Um, he takes no pleasure in the, the death of the wicked at all. Uh, it's not like if you've seen the, the, the Avengers movie, um, I think it's maybe Infinity War where Thanos is the main, he's the, he's the uh, antagonist. He's this kind of demigod. Thanos is his name, word for death in Greek. And so Thanos, um, he wants to clean the universe of humans because he's sick of humans. He thinks humans have destroyed the balance. And this is what he says. He's about to destroy the entire human race. And he says, what I'm, what I'm about to do to your stubborn, annoying little planet, I am going to enjoy very much. And this is the opposite of Thanos. This is God. Uh, in the story of the Bible, it says God's heart was filled with pain when he saw this. So he is not enjoying this. If you've seen Old Yeller, uh, when, when the guy shoots his dog, he is, he is weeping as he does that. So uh, this, is, this is after years of waiting. It says in 1 Peter that God's patience waited while the ark was being prepared. The door was open. And they were just mocking Noah as he built this ark. And so uh, if that's hard for you that, that God judges like this, imagine the alternative where there's a universe where there is no judgment. You know, imagine a universe where violence is unchecked and the strong eat the weak and Putin invades Ukraine with no consequence and no resistance. And basically where the most powerful human beings do whatever they want. I am so glad we don't live in that universe. And that we live in a universe where there's God who judges uh, and destroys the destroyer. So that's the, that's the first point. The judgment of God, it's got to run deep because the darkness runs deep. Uh, but now, uh, the, the depth of judgment is, is matched and more than matched by the profundity of grace that comes underneath it and more than meets it. And uh, where, where sin abounded, grace abounded all the more. Just as sin reigned in death, grace will reign in righteousness, Paul says. So that's the second point, the grace of God. He doesn't like nuke the world. He could have done that. He could have just scrapped everything and started over. He could have made a new creature that reflects his glory, not humans. But instead, he picks this one family and he hands them the blueprints for a boat the size of the Titanic. 
And he says in verse 14, make yourself an ark of cypress wood. And if you take seriously what it says here, uh, this boat is 700 feet long. So that's about two football fields. And it is 75 feet high, uh, which is the height of a very tall tree. And it's bigger than the Titanic. If you've ever seen the Titanic, it's about the same size. And there's actually one, they built one in Williamston, Kentucky, of all places. Uh, It's called the Ark Experience. And you can go there and actually see a replica. And uh, the, the size of the Ark is a measure of God's love for his animals because he brought all the animals on um, I don't necessarily think each one had to be there in order to help humans or anything like that. He just liked them all. So he wants them all on the ark. Verse 19, bring in two of all the living creatures, male and female, to keep them alive. And in the movie Noah, I've always been wondering, like, I've always wondered how do you keep these animals alive for half a year? Well, they put them to sleep. Noah walks through with this, uh, like, sensor thing, like the Roman Catholic Church would have. And they all fall asleep for the half a year that they're in the ark. So they build the ark, they bring in the animals, they get in, the door closes, 40 days of rain, 40 nights of rain. They wait half a year for the waters to subside. So the 40 days and nights are how long it's raining. It's pouring for 40 days and nights. And then after that ends, then you have a half a year and it comes down, the waters come down and the ark ends up on Mount Ararat in Turkey, apparently. And so they come out of the ark. Now, I, I don't know, like, I, was a, I was an atheist and a science major, and I don't know what to do with all that. I, don't, I do not know how to conceptually put that all together. I just trust that it's true. I don't know. If you're struggling with that, uh, let's talk, and we can share, we can commiserate. I don't know what to do with it. I don't know how it's true, but I do believe it is true. And, um, and not only does God save Noah and his family through this ark experience, but he actually promises after that, I'm not going to do this again. Uh, permanent environmental stability. This is in chapter 8 now, uh, verse 22. You just have to trust this is what it says. In 8.22, it says, While the earth remains, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night, shall not cease. I will preserve this planet. Now, I mentioned this two weeks ago, but if you take the story of the Bible seriously... um, Global warming will not destroy this planet. And that is not to say we should not work for environmental justice and to preserve preserve the environment. We should. And yet, if you take the story of the Bible seriously, an asteroid is not going to come and blow up this planet. If you've seen the movie Don't Look Up, that's the premise behind that movie. There's this asteroid coming that might destroy the Earth. Uh, That's not going to happen. Nor will there be some kind of nuclear conflagration where the entire world destroys itself and it's like a nuclear winter and you're like a Mad Max future that's not going to happen simply because that's not the way the story goes and i'm not saying that i could show that through sociology or stats or anything in science but that's just not the story of the bible so if we trust the bible that's not going to happen because this promise says that verse 11 of chapter 9 never again shall all creatures be cut off by the waters of a flood and never again shall a flood destroy the earth not a flood not a comet not global warming, not nuclear holocaust. It's a promise that God is going to stick with this world. I'm going to work with this world. And uh, this is the essence of what theologians call common grace. Uh, Common grace being that God shows grace to every man, woman, and child ever to live. Not just to Christians, but to every human being, God shows grace. And he's basically saying, I lock myself into a commitment with the human race that I will do good 
to all people. I will send my rain on the just and the unjust, on the righteous and the wicked. I'm going to send sun. I'm going to love and bless every single human being, no matter what they do. That's called common grace. That's different from saving grace, where some certain people actually trust in Christ and believe and are saved. This is common grace. They're both true. They're both important. But God shows grace uh, in verse 18. In spite of the continued evil, I will establish my covenant with you. And it's a covenant with every, uh, ch- every dog, every bird, every cat, every fish. It's a covenant with the animals, um, which I find that to be fascinating. That God explicitly says it's with all living creatures. So he's promising our dog, Ricky, as well. Permanent environmental stability. He promises... Whatever animal you love, that the same, it's a covenant that he makes with the animals. It's amazing he's making a covenant with the animals. But what he's saying is, I love this human race, I love this earth too much to let this end. And not only does he do all that, uh, but then he reiterates the creation mandate, which I talked about two weeks ago. Which is so gracious, so amazingly gracious, that he would not only spare the earth, promise permanent stability, but he says in verse 7 of chapter 9, be fruitful and multiply and increase greatly in the earth. Like, let's do it again. Let's try, you know, round two. Two, Creation mandate 2.0. We're going to go out and we're going to spread. And this time you're going to have this rainbow over all of it that shows that I will never destroy the earth again. So it's it's the creation mandate again, but under a rainbow. Uh, This is verse... 12 of chapter 9. This is the covenant. This is the sign of the covenant between me and you and every living thing. I have set my bow in the clouds. And literally, that's the word battle bow. Now, before I move on, again, science major, atheist. I was talking to my wife, Margie, at the time. We were just friends. And she was introducing me to the Bible for the first time. She brought out a Bible. I was like, I've never really seen one of those things. And she's like, well, um, there was a rainbow in the sky in London where we were. And she's like, let me show you why that rainbow's there. So she opened a Genesis 9. And I said, I know why the rainbow's there. The rainbow's there because of refraction. Because the, uh, the, the, little, the little droplets of water are making the light go through it and bending it at different angles. And that creates the colors. And she's like, no, 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 not, 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 the, not the specifics of science, not the means by which it's made, but the reason it's there. And she reads me this, this verse about... The sign of the covenant between um, God and every living creature. All the animals, all the humans. And it's like, that's the deeper reason that there's a rainbow. Is, uh, is, is not just the scientific phenomenon. But it's, God has taken that beautiful uh, thing that, um, that we all see from time to time. And he's made that his sign of this incredible grace. And the battle bow uh, in the ancient world was the most lethal weapon. Um, you had the spears, you had the swords, uh, but the main people were in the back with the bows, those huge, those are gigantic, but they, they were, um, the artillery, they would, they would stand in the back and shoot these gigantic arrows, these massive bows, and they were what really did the damage. So the battle bow is like the great weapon of the ancient Near East, and God chooses that as the word for the rainbow. And he's basically saying the most, the most lethal weapon I have in my command, I'm laying it down. Not because you're getting better or you stop sinning, but I'm going to lay down my bow, and I'm not going to do this again. And he lays it down to the ground. And the interesting thing, and this is what the story of the Bible points out, is the way that it is pointing. 
the, the way that the bow is pointing when he lays it down. This is what uh, Sally Lloyd-Jones says. It says, God's strong anger against hate and sadness and death would come down again, but not on his people or this world. No, God's battle bow was not pointing down at his people. It was pointing up into the heart of heaven. And so the idea is that um, one day there will be a bigger flood. There will be a greater judgment. The flood is only a foreshadowing of the, the great judgment that will come. And just as Noah, this, the one man Noah, found favor in God's eyes, God chose one man and the whole human race came down to one man. And this one righteous man who found favor saved the entire planet. In the same way, God's, it all comes down to one man, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. And the, that's the one, from, the man from heaven, that God would send that, that lethal arrow right into his heart. And he would be the one that would be pierced uh, to protect us from the true judgment. Uh, the judgment of everlasting separation from God. And that's what we celebrate at this meal. Um, right before this happened, uh, Jesus said, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow. Which is very similar language to what it says in Genesis 6, where it says, my heart is Remember, we love these rascals.